What is up, Doe? Welcome to another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show, where we discuss the most underachieving basketball team in the National Basketball Association, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is February 12th, 2016. It is freezing again, and that is your winter update. The Cougars update for my basketball team, for those wanting to know, uh, we, have, we have the weekend off, a spirited practice this week, but we're uh, making a push for the playoffs. But, <laughs> but why everyone uh, is listening, your Washington Wizards currently sit at 23-28. and 28. They lost last night to the Bucks. They beat the Knicks on Tuesday. We are now at the All-Star break. Kind of recap of the first half of the season, uh, what, what's been going on with the Wizards this, this, this past week. And a lot of other topics. So, thanks. Thank you for joining us once again. And I have a new guest uh, making his de- debut here on the Pixel Road Show. I've been trying to get him for a while. He is a Wizards season ticket holder. He may or may not be wearing a Tom Gugliotta jersey currently. Uh, he has a really awesome first name. He also is a writer with Truth About It uh, with me as well, Mr. Adam Rubin. What's up, Adam? How are you? Well, hello. Thanks for having me. How's the weather treating you? you? You got a coat today? Yeah, well, I was a little late coming onto the podcast. I just got back from Macy's, uh, Montgomery Mall, Macy's. Uh, went for my 50% off uh, big new winter jacket. Well, so you wait till February to get this. You, you, you want it, It's going to be almost zero degrees uh, tomorrow on Saturday, the low. So you're, you're, you're waiting to the middle of winter to, to upgrade? Well, that was a catalyst. I had a good 40 to 50 degree jacket, but, you know, these last two days, of, they sent me to Macy's. <laughs> well, well, Adam. Every everyone. The reason I give weather updates because usually it's cold and and it's a good good symbolism of how the Wizards are usually playing because they are the most consistently inconsistent team that, that perhaps in the in the NBA. And every every new guest I have on the show, I basically ask them what are their thoughts of the season so far and their their takeaway. So. What do, you, what do you feel about this basketball team currently as we sit here on February 12th? Well, you know, any analysis of the team this year, I guess, has to take into account what the expectations were and where they were supposed to be. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be a top four team at the least, uh, you know, trying to attract Durant. So in, in any way, if you're going to look at it in that context, it's obviously it, it's been a disaster. Um, the, the only bright spot, I'd say, is, is John Wall. Uh, you know, even with his injuries, he's pretty much – Shown that he can be that one guy that you can build a team around. And so I'd say that the one takeaway I'd say is we have a building block, but we weren't supposed to be in the position where all we're doing is collecting a building block. But, but at least, at least we have that. But you know, it's, it's been, it's been tough to watch and it's been tough to hear the excuses over and over again. I know you've been talking about it. Everyone's talking about it. You know, Whitman says the same thing after every game. You know, he just recently said we have to learn how to, to play with the lead. We have to learn how to play on the road. We have to learn how to play consistently. We have to learn how to, to try hard, you know, and that's, that's not the comments you want to hear from a coach who's been here five plus years. So it doesn't reflect well on him. It, it doesn't reflect well on the players and it doesn't reflect well on where this team is going to go for the rest of the season. So I uh, try not to be too negative. So I, I throw it a little bit of a John Wall there in the beginning. What, what, to you, what has been the most frustrating aspect so far this year? Well, I'd say it's a combination. One would be the defensive drop-off, but really it's been the way they've responded to that. I mean, I was actually, I was covering the game, I guess it was the Denver game, where they had the closed-door meeting after the game. And, you know, I walked in there, it felt sort of like a funeral. Everybody said, you know, everyone with their heads down, nobody wanted to talk. Um, but 
but Dudley and Beal and, and, and Temple, they all said the same thing that we now know what the problem is. We now know what we need to turn it around and we're going to do that now. And so the disappointing thing is how they haven't been able to do it. They, they beat Houston the next game. They lost to, to Oklahoma City and I guess that's expected. They lost to Golden State. That was expected, you know, even though they played well, but, but even after that, they haven't, you know, they beat Philly. They're supposed to and, but, you know, they've been up and down since then. You know, the, two losses and one win. So they, they haven't put together what they said they were going to do. So it, it sort of leaves you at a loss thinking about whether they're going to be able to turn it around. Because I, I asked them, I asked John Wall, I asked Temple uh, at that Denver game, how confident are you that you can do the same thing you did the last two years, that you can put together a nice run at the end of the season and put it together in the playoffs? And they both said, yeah, you know, we're confident. You know, we still have plenty of time. We'll, we'll get it done. But as each game passes and, and there's no real evidence that that's happening, you know, the confidence of the fans, at least, is is, is waning. They're three and four since that since that players only meeting, and those I think they'll remember the last time I remember players only meeting. Uh, Flip Saunders was fired like three weeks later. So, so, so from just recent Wizards history, those don't really have success. What are your thoughts on a players only meeting? Is that just a media kind of driven narrative or? I mean, aren't players always meeting? <laughs> well, no, I, no, I think it's a, in this case, it, it definitely was a real thing. They definitely, uh, they closed the door. They kept the coaches out because I know Whitman, you know, it was the longest I've ever waited for a post-game press conference from Whitman. We were wondering what was happening and we got the answer once we got into the, to the locker room. But no, it's a, it's a, it was a serious thing. There was a serious airing of grievances. There was Dudley was talking and trying to be the, the veteran and, and, I think they had things they needed to discuss. You saw the frustration started to boil over on the court. It's lessened a little bit, but there were, you know, Wall was arguing with players on the court where they're supposed to be on defense. He still does it now, sort of shaking his head when he drops a pass to Gortat and, you know, when he drops it. Uh, you see some of that frustration. But I think things were boiling over, especially when that was when Nene started to start again. So I think Dudley was getting frustrated by that, not knowing what his, you know, place is on the team, because he would always say the team plays better with me on the court. Um, which, you know, the, the stats may, may bear that out, but that's something which would cause tension whether they want it or not. You know, it's going to be an issue coming off the bench and changing the style up. So I, I think it definitely, things needed to be said. I think it was a real needed closed door meeting, but it also shows that they may not have the ability to overcome those defensive problems. Yeah, you know, disturbing trend that I've really noticed over the last four games is that the offensive just has just fallen apart in a certain quarter, even games where they, they had the lead. I mean, they had a nine point, 19 point lead against Charlotte starts falling apart a little bit in the second quarter, completely collapses in the third quarter, Philadelphia. That should have been a blowout victory. The offense collapses in the third quarter, New York. They were up on them. Once again, the offense fizzles in the third quarter. They, and then they almost blew it. They had a 10 point lead with uh, a minute 50, and then free throws and almost blew it. And then, and then yesterday, uh, they went, or last night against the Bucks in Milwaukee, they missed like 13 straight shots in the second quarter. So you had three straight games where they were bad in the third quarter. And last night they were bad in the second quarter. Another, another troubling stat that Comcast had on last night's broadcast I thought was noteworthy, even though I usually make fun of Comcast stats because there'll be something like, oh, John Wall leads the NBA in assists on a Monday. Or, oh, he has the most yeah. re- rebounds in February, and it's like February 9th, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but last night, I thought the stat that the Buckhands kept going back to was that this was the 17th straight game that the Wizards trailed by 10 or more points at any time in the game that they had lost. 
In the NBA, you see teams come back from 10 points all the time. The Wizards had done that earlier this season a bunch of times against the Bucks, which Buckhans noted as well. What are the, those two trends? Something's amiss. What have you seen on those two items I just highlighted? Well, it seems like I bet you if they look back, some of those games where they get those 10 point deficits, they probably had eight or nine point leads at some point too. So it's, it's almost, it's doubly bad because it's not just games where they're getting blown out from the start and then not being able to come back. I mean, they're, they're actually just blowing leads and then going down double digits. But yeah, well, that seems to be the issue of not being able to put together a full 48 minutes. And that seems to be, that's sort of the hallmark of, of a mediocre team, you know, somebody who can, they can beat the bad teams, they can beat a good team every once in a while, but they can't consistently put together a complete four-quarter game. And and that seems to be what runs through a lot of their problems. That's sort of the, the nexus between a lot of stuff. They just can't put together a full game for whatever reason. I don't know. Some Even Wall, you'll see it in these games that they're losing sometimes where he gets those key turnovers at the end of the game. Um, I don't want to put too much on Wall because Wall's pretty much, he's carrying the team. But you see that... Uh, you know, Beal, he's he's in and out. Uh, Dub seems to be the only one I've seen who can puts together consistent effort and will get those key plays. And sometimes down the stretch when they need stops, you can see he's he's got another gear and he, he's doing a little veteran things like getting in front of people for a charge and getting steals. He just doesn't have the physical capability to box people out and play that stretch forward that they need. But he seems to be the only guy who buckles down and can do it consistently, but he's more limited. He can't take over the game, but for him, he's, he's doing everything he can. Everyone else seems to be sort of hit or miss, and that's, that's, that's the hallmark of a, an average team, just inconsistency, not, not being able to follow through and not being able to beat the teams that are bad when you got them down. So I, I don't... It seems the like, problem is... It, it, it seems like, no, like the, the injuries, I would always use injuries as an excuse. And, and I, once again, we know we hate doing that, but this team has had been riddled with injuries. The rotation has not been set. You know, there was, even when they won some games, they, you know, they had a little hot streak before Christmas. They were playing a seven man rotate, I mean, seven guys a couple of times. We had Ubre starting, going from starting to getting DMPs. Temple has probably been the only one really consistent. Beal was in and out. Wall has obviously played every, I think Wall and Sessions were the only that played every game. Nene had his injuries. Uh, you know, Dudley is, I guess, has been, you know, consistently injured, but, you know, Humphreys has been out. Anderson's been out all season. Neal has been out, uh, you know, the last couple games, which I think is a plus, but we'll get into that later. Now, this, but the, the point being is it's like how much do injuries have a role in this rotation not being really consistent or set? And then also, but in the last couple of weeks, I feel like they are kind of healthy as, as a unit. Like their best units are out there. The best players are out there, and it's not really clicking. Yeah, I, I don't think you could put too much on the injuries. I mean, I know it affects practice time. I know Whitman's mentioned that, uh, not being able to have everybody together to run through whatever new defensive sets they want or to focus on things that they're not doing well during the game. But when you look at the injuries, when they add up the total team injuries and they put out the stat of Washington having the most, I mean, a lot of that is Drew Gooden You know, earlier in the year. You have Martel Webster. You have Nene, who you're not going to count on for too much. He's supposed to be just the backup center. And Humphreys, who for whatever reason Whitman doesn't like, and you have Dewan Blair, who hasn't been injured but but never plays. So I feel it's more the front court rotation. It is Wall has been asking for a stretch four basically since he's been here. I mean, just actually, literally saying in interviews, you know, I, I want to play with a stretch four, and they haven't gotten him one. I mean, Dudley's the closest they've come, but he's really not exactly what they're looking for, and that's the closest. And when Dudley's out, they're now talking about putting Otto Porter in there a little bit, but 
it's been Nene, it's been Humphreys, it's been Blair, it's been good. And th- these players are not, they're not stretch force. They're not the ideal player to play with John Wall. So I think part of it is, a big part of it is personnel. And so some of the injuries are to players who not weren't really going to be that helpful anyway and don't really fit the, 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 the team and what they're trying to do. I think Alan Anderson hurts a yes. lot. We haven't seen him play, obviously, but he had the skill set of what they need. Um, but we'll see if he ever, <laughs> if he ever takes the court, uh, we'll see if that actually comes to fruition. But I think a guy like him would be, and Beal, and Beal being out for five weeks is probably well, the main ones, right? Well, yeah, I mean, Beal, but you've come to, you've come to expect that. But yes, they, they've played, you know, Temple's played pretty well, uh, and Uber's been able to step in some. So they, they've been able to make up for Beal to the extent where it's, it shouldn't be, their, their records shouldn't be where they are. I mean, they've lost so many games. They've had their core. I mean, Gortat was, they've had Wall, they've had Gortat. They've had Beal some, but they've had some stability in the backcourt. I mean, they have enough that if this is the team, they're, they're not supposed to have this record. It, it's not that we're not the Chicago Bulls losing rows, you know, a couple years ago and then being devastated or, or, you know, it's not supposed to drop down to this level. If, if, if you're saying this is a 23 and 28 team, if you get the type of injuries that they've had, then it's not a very good team. You know, it's, you look at Charlotte. Charlotte's had major injuries. Al Jefferson was out. MKG was out. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a 500 team. And you look at what Chicago, they're hanging in there. They've had a bunch of injuries and Rose isn't very good anymore or not as good as he was. So I don't think it should be expected that they would fall to this level. I mean, think of it that it had an injury to Wall. I mean, having Wall healthy, Wall is really the main cog on the team. So it's hard to say we have had health problems. They have, but it's hard to say that they've had that many health problems when Wall has played every game. So they've had an engine which should allow them to be 500. I mean, they should be 500 at this point at, at a minimum. I mean, five games under 500 at the All-Star break is unacceptable. Uh, losing tennis, you know, to me, you mentioned earlier, I'm going to go off on a rant here real quick, but not too much, but you mentioned earlier about how the, the, the falling off of the the elite defense, number five in the NBA, they've been hovering in the 20s, low 20s all season. The three-point defense, we've, we've belabored that point over and over. It's improved somewhat, but still, they give up way too many open threes. And 10-16 at home, it, it, it's... 16 losses at home in the Verizon Center when basically only the Sixers and the Nets have, have a worse home record for a team, like you mentioned, was going to be in the top four, you know, has sights to play the Cavs in the finals. To now have 16 losses at the, at the All-Star break at home is just pathetic. It's putrid. There's no excuse for it. And, you know, we've, you know, your season ticket holder, some people want to blame the fans here and there. And I think there's maybe some of that, but there's just, there, but I've seen that arena get loud this season. I've seen it, the fans be into it over the last couple of years, and I don't know what's really happening at the Verizon Center. What, what do you think is happening with this bad home record before we move on? Well, it's, it's weird. It's, it's hard to, I guess, it's hard to chalk it up to anyone because they had, you know, a couple of years ago, they couldn't win on the road at all, but they would win at home. Then they can win on the road somewhat and can't win at home. I mean, it, it's, I don't think you, I don't see how it could be anything specific to playing at home. I mean, there's just been games where they haven't shown up, but, uh, you know, I just, I can't imagine, I mean, putting it on the fans for their, for, obviously the atmosphere at Verizon Center isn't great compared to other cities, but it gets loud as when they win, it gets loud in the playoffs and the fans are there and, and I don't think that's the issue. I don't think the players would tell you that they're 
it's hard to play in front of the home crowd. Sure, the, the opposing teams get, you know, bigger cheers here than they do in other cities, but I mean, that's been going on for, for 35 years. So, uh, I don't think there's any one reason. It's for why they're not playing well at home. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lack of concentration. It's a lack of effort. It's, it's, they come into some of these games and they don't even give themselves a chance to win. They just come in and they're already down from the beginning. And, and then they start to, to lose those runs you're talking about where they just lose their focus. And, and that's enough right there. So, uh, it's hard to put your finger on one particular reason why they would. Well, now they're 500, I guess, on the road, and they have a losing record at home. But yeah, yeah they're 11, 16 at home, and 12 and 12 on the road. Yeah. So I mean, it's there's no excuse for it, but there's really no explanation as well. I remember, <laughs> I remember Wall. Someone was asked, asked Wall after a game, you know, and he said, "Well, the fans don't deserve this. The fans don't deserve to come and watch this. It's nothing they're doing. I mean, we need to step up. I mean, that's why at some point." There really aren't outside issues that are stopping this team from winning. You know, it, it's it's in the locker room. You can blame the coach, you can blame the players, but it, it's the team. It's not. There aren't outside factors. It's not injuries. It's not the fans that are holding them down to the twenty three and twenty eight record. I mean, they have the capability to play better and overcome whatever these obstacles may be. And and to their credit, they're not making excuses. I mean, they say the right things after every game. That's what's frustrating. It's a broken record, but they say the right things. They just. They just never followed through. Were you at the Warriors game? That third quarter, when they made that run in that third quarter, the place was jumping, and it was mostly for, oh. it was it was eighty percent for the Wizards. That environment was loud. It was into the game. So I, I know it's the Warriors. I know, but the Warriors. I mean, the, that's a good example of the Warriors. I mean, there was more Warriors fans there than probably any other team that they'll probably play all year, right? I mean, from a national standpoint, I mean, maybe the Knicks, the Celtics, or. Someone like that, but I mean, you have all these Warriors fans that were loud, wearing courage jerseys, yelling. But when the Wizards got going, that place was totally a home court advantage for the Wizards. Yeah, and all that one, I blame the refs. I blame the refs. <laughs> the fourth foul on Wall was BS. And Newman that was should have kept, kept him in, but yeah. Well, the second, the one at the end of the first half, that that was that did it, but because uh, you knew he was going to be taken out immediately. But yes, his fourth foul was absurd. But uh, yeah, I, but but yeah, the. The crowd was incredibly loud. Everybody was into it. That was the best atmosphere I've seen in the, for a regular season game. Uh, it had a postseason feel, didn't it? It had a postseason feel, I thought. Yeah, no, it, it did. And that, that run, and it wasn't just a small run that game. They played no. well, of course, in the beginning. They, you know, Curry, you know, took them out in the beginning, but, but that was a, they were going toe to toe for a, a sustained amount of time and the crowd was into it and, and they turned, they turned the crowd. They turned the crowd in their favor. Um, so, so yeah, the crowd will be there. It is, uh, it is not a great crowd. You know, it, obviously the Chick-fil-A, you know, foul shot, everyone makes a big deal about that being the loudest that the stadium gets. And, you know, that they have a point, but people but, love, people love free food and free stuff. I mean, you go to yeah. any arena, people yell for free t-shirts and free food. That, that goes on wherever. And I actually, I've came around a little bit on Chick-fil-A because it's actually giving the Wizards somewhat of an advantage. Right, it, it, the crowd is getting loud for free stuff when the other opponent is trying to shoot free throw, I and mean, that's that's an advantage for the home team and the Wizards. So I don't mind I don't mind it as much uh, anymore. In the past, I used to you know make fun of it a lot, but <laughs> yeah, if it gets people involved, yeah, it's 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 fine. Well, well, let's go to another environment. You were recently at a at a road game. You you saw the Wizards in uh, Charlotte. I went over this game with Rashad a lot on the podcast. I'm not going to get too much into the analysis of it, but you were there. I just want to know your experience. What's like to watch the Wizards on the road? I know you've done that a few times before. What was going on down yeah, in Charlotte? I, what was your thoughts of you know watching it as a fan compared to you know covering a game? 
Well, no, it's, I enjoy going and watching on the road. There's definitely more people now who are are fans of Washington to go to the other stadiums. I, last year, I went to Oklahoma City and San Antonio when they were on the, the road trip down there. That was more, there were very, very few Washington fans in either of those places, but that was more, you know, I just want to see Duncan before he retires, see him in his home stadium and and go see Durant. Uh, but in Charlotte, there were plenty of Washington fans. At four, I was sitting, the row behind me, there were four Washington fans sitting right behind me and, and they were vocal. And it's, it's, it's fun. It, it, they got up early. They sort of, it was more painful for me because as I, I normally I try not to cheer too much, but as they got up on that big run with Otto in the second quarter, you know, I was standing up, I was cheering. That makes you, puts a, a target on your back, you know, when the, when the comeback <laughs> happens. Yeah. So, so for me, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but everybody there in Charlotte, I mean, everybody was very nice down there. The usher, when I first walked in, they were giving out the, these rally towels and he saw I was wearing a Bullets shirt. So he said, okay, you know, welcome, even though you're a Bullets fan, you know, I love, I love the Bullets name. I like the shirt, you know, so I'll, I'll welcome you. And, I walk around the concourse. I saw Rich Cho, the, the general manager uh, of Charlotte. And I'd actually been to the earlier in that day in, in Greensboro. I went to the U.S. table tennis uh, Olympic trials. And I had actually in the summer league last year, Daryl Morey, the, the Rockets GM, puts on a, a table tennis tournament every year for different players and GMs and the media can play. And I, I played in that. And Rich Cho was there, too. So I talked to him a little bit. In Vegas, so I saw him at the concourse. I was talking to him a little bit about about the table tennis trials and about the team, and and so uh, it was just a cool sort of atmosphere. You're walking around, you see the general manager. He's just nobody really seemed to know who he was, or no one wanted to talk to him. So I talked to him for a little bit. Um, so it's it's a pretty it's a pretty laid back, friendly atmosphere, but it's definitely a lot more tuned in. The fans are a lot more tuned in than in D.C. Just like what we were talking about there, like in Oklahoma City, like in San Antonio, it's really a Charlotte Hornet specific stadium, specific crowd. Like you're there to watch basketball. You're not just getting free tickets for the, you know, the evening in DC, just walking in, not knowing what's going on. Everybody's sort of locked in. And when they went on their run, you know, the, the crowd's going crazy. The crowd's locked in. So it's definitely, it's definitely a better experience being on some of most of the road places I've been to. It's been a, a better experience for the home fan there than it is in DC. Um, so. You know that that's that's one of the things that's a little frustrating. And the stadium's a lot nicer than the Verizon Center as well. Uh, a lot better food. Lot lot lot, lot of uh, wall jerseys. I mean, he is from Raleigh, not very far. Yeah, there's North a lot. There's, you see Kentucky. You see Kentucky walking around. You see a lot of uh, saw some wall jerseys. I, I recognize other season ticket holders who who I see at the stadium. I recognize some of them sitting around. So I guess other people have made the the trip down for a weekend game. Um, so definitely a lot of red. The red stands out. And you do feel a little bit of camaraderie, and, and you do feel a little bit more like a legitimate team until until the outcome. But, <laughs> but <laughs> well, we know the outcome. Jeremy Lin hit the corner corner ball three when Wall Wall left him. <laughs> yeah, well, he's made a habit of that, I guess, the last couple of games. So. Yes, that, yes, we'll get into that. What what? Uh, hold hold on, before before we move on, uh, table tennis. Are you, are you a, a, a prolific ping pong player? I don't know about. No, no, no. It, it had, well, I, I'm a, I, in my youth I played, but no, this was a coincidental that the, I, I was down basically, I had a, a free day in Charlotte, so, you know, looked up what was going on. So that's why I went by to, uh, to check it out. And it just so happened that running into Rich Cho and the, the only time I'd ever communicated with him and my only point of reference with him would have been our, our playing table tennis before. So. No, what was uh, it? Green- no, no. no, Greensboro was a USA tournament? Yeah, it's the, Qualifying tournament for the U.S. table tennis team. 
Men's and women's. Men's so, and women. so how'd that go? What's, what's the, what, was it just a big room of people playing, playing table tennis? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's at the Greensboro Coliseum. They have, yes, about, you know, I know where that is. It's eight tables set up and, uh, you know, the stands are about uh, 10, 15 rows of stands. It wasn't a huge crowd. I'd say a lot of it was family and friends. Uh, I don't know how many, how many there were of, uh, you know, other ticket holders. Uh, there's people going down to, to, to buy tickets like I did, but, uh, you know, it's, it's entertaining for a couple hours when you're in Charlotte. Kick, you know, pass some time before the game starts. <laughs> that is, that is pretty cool. I, I, they, they used to host the ACC basketball tournament in that arena every year. I, I dated a girl from Greensboro, so I'd been around there. It didn't work out, so my memories of Greensboro aren't too positive, but it's a decent town. <laughs> so let's get into, uh, the Knicks. So they, they, they beat the Knicks one one eleven to one oh eight in 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 Messer Garden on Tuesday night. The fifth straight victory of the Wizards in New York, which set Buckhands to, to glee. He loved he loved to say that one over and over. The Wizards played I thought played pretty well in the first half. Uh like I mentioned earlier, they fell apart in the third quarter, had a run, shot the ball pretty well. And then free throws, and there's so many free throws, especially Bradley Beal, who had a cook in. He, he plays really well in Massacre Square Garden. So does, so does Wall. He had it going. Some weird, weird plays at the end. And the Knicks ended up with a wide open three to tie it, which think, thankfully they missed it. Or the Wizards would have collapsed again. What did you think of, of, of that game and that performance of the Wizards? Well, it was, a little bit of a, well, not so much a microcosm of the season, but sort of it showed our the, our extremes. It showed what Wall can do. I mean, the 17 assists, uh, you know, one turnover. I mean, that that's that's 20, insane. Yeah, 20 um, points. I mean, that stat line's ridiculous. Five rebounds. Yeah. Yeah, when he gets to go in and gets that step back, when he knows it's going in, when he can feel it, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, you can't guard him. So you had Wall at his best, which which is all, you know, it's pretty much all we have. We have Wall at his best, and you have Beal. Showing up with the well, not just the threes, he was also driving, but um, but hitting the outside shot confidently. So I mean, you, you had our backcourt going, uh, so you saw what we were, what what Washington is is able to do. But you know, you still had it's that inability to complete a game. And I thought Whitman did a great job recognizing to to, to foul at the end when you're up three. Just that alone is something which you question whether people are going to follow through with that. So at least the the instructions were there. You know, they did it the 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 play before the last shot, they did it. I thought that was maybe a little early. They could have let, I think they found Carmelo, but I guess they could have let him dribble a little bit, but that, that's fine. They found, they got that first foul in, but you see a specific instruction. The, the microcosm was more of that last play where you have a specific instruction. You know what you need to do and just the execution falls apart and nobody really has any explanation for it. Howard Isley, as I know you put out that, that oh, fine Howard I'm Isley. so getting, pissed off. So, yeah, he's getting pissed on the bench. Wall just, you know, it's what, Wall's shaking his head like, what happened? He knows he, 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 he knows he left his man, but he also knows that Calderon was going on the court, so he knows we want to try to foul him. Otto's, I yeah, guess. Well, let's, you know, let's mention that, let's mention the people who, who remember is that they were, they fouled their, they're up three with like eight seconds. They foul, and then the Knicks made both their free throws, and then they foul the Wizards. The Wizards make both their free throws. There's still like five seconds left, so they're supposed to foul again. And Otto is on Calderon. It doesn't foul, and then Wall comes up. In 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 replay, I think me and you had an exchange on Twitter. I think you were cr- 
I mean, I, I feel Otto still totally messed up, but once Wall, yes, yes. once, once Wall realized that Otto was not going to foul him, he couldn't leave his man, Langston Galloway, and Beal should have maybe came over and guarded Langston Galloway too. So you had all sorts of mess ups going. And, and so then, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, Otto doesn't foul, which, which sent Howard Isley to pound a chair into submission at the buzzer. You have Whitman going nuts, death staring Otto down. Uh, and the Wizards just won the game because then Langston Galloway got the pass from Calderon and missed the wide open three. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. It is a microcosm. I mean, you, I thought the blame was mostly on Otto, but you, I think that Wall did share some, which was what your sentiment was, correct? Well, yes. I mean, certainly a hundred percent. What Otto did was a hundred percent wrong. He was the one who made the mistake in not fouling. Wall compounded it. <laughs> Wall compounded it in. Tr- I understand the sentiment. Wallace saying, "Okay, Otto's not going to foul him, so I better do it." But I mean, you know, he he left him wide open. He left Calloway wide open, and, and he had a lot of ground he had to cover to get to the foul. And you know, Calderon's going to find. You know, Calderon's a great passer. He's, he'll 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 find a guy who's wide open, jumping up and down with his arms waving. So sometimes in those late game situations, Wall does on defense tend to play you know safety, tend to go for steals. Uh, so I understand it. I understand it was a hectic situation. He's just running around there, and he's obviously did enough on his own to win the game. But certainly, you would, as you look at the film the next day, that would be a defensive breakdown by both Otto and Wall. And you know, and and again, you have the coaches saying it's not what we were supposed to do, and we need to figure out how to do this. But again, it's this is the fifth year with Whitman. Wall is not a he's not a young player anymore. So I mean, these are the types of things that would have to change. Before you can go on a three-game winning streak or win five out of six and move up in the playoff chase, if you're gonna, if you're not gonna finish close games, you're not gonna be able to catch up in the uh, in the standings. So that it's these are little things, sort of, but they also point to a larger problem and the question of whether whether they can make up the ground to make the playoffs and whether that's even what they want to do anyway. Whether whether in the in the future whether that's the best thing for them to do anyway. But but you know, and it carried over to Milwaukee. It looks like it's you know they. They weren't able to bring that momentum into uh, into the All Star break. Yeah, since they beat the Pacers in Indiana, they have lost nine games and won four. Of those four victories, they won against Miami Heat at home. Remember that game? Heat didn't play anybody, yeah, was- right? They sat out all their players. What? Wade didn't play. Who else didn't play? Somebody else didn't play. Uh, well, right? it was also uh, right. yeah. I was covering that game. I think Whiteside got hurt during the game, and Shane uh, got hurt during the game. Yes, so they didn't play. The other victory is the Houston game after after the team found out uh, Whitman's brother had passed. Emotional victory, but that that came down to the wire. They could have easily lost that game. Then you have the Philadelphia game, who's the worst team in the you know the, so awful and terrible. They should have put them away. They don't. And then this Knicks game, they almost blew a ten point lead with less than two minutes. So so here we are. The one, the four victories I can point to in the last month, essentially. Or all have asterisks next to them. Now they're still victories, right? They're not the the, the Golden State game. You know, will be close as again as a, as a moral victory. I think that maybe you can have since how well they played. But then they lost, and then you see them how they even in the the victories. It's just like, hey, they beat a team by 10, 15 points, and we're solid. Is that the frustrating part? I, I feel like this team has has been playing like over the last you know month, especially when especially when you. I'm not even including. You know, the losses to Denver and Portland and Boston at home that were completely, you know, all their own disasters individually. Yeah, and that's that's where you get the question. The, the big question is, can they 
turned it around. They're sitting, you know, three, I guess three and a half games out of the playoffs or so. And, but they, it's not just, they're not in ninth place. It's not like they only have to catch up with one team. You know, they're going to have to leapfrog several teams. So really, I mean, that's, it's, it's sort of, that's the question that it leads into, okay, what happens if they don't make the playoffs? So where, you know, where, where do we sit? Like, where do we go from there? Uh, you know, Leontis always likes to talk about continuity and, there's tons of free agents, so that we can't have too much. They can't have too much continuity because a lot of these guys are expiring. But the question is, you're sort of in a crossroads if you don't make the playoffs after this year. You can't you can't talk away a lot of reappearance. You, you can talk about injuries all you want, but the bottom line is, if if, if Washington's in the lottery, it, it, it's hard for Leontis or Grunfeld or Whitman to say that this was anything other than a a disaster. I don't think they will say it's a disaster, but it will be very very hard for for, for Ted to put out a blog post saying that this was other than, you know, a disaster. I still, there's, so, still, I still think that there's potential for them to call Mulligan, especially if there's more, another injury on the season. Uh, I, I know that I say there's potential. I don't think that that should happen or, or that is the right, the right direction, of course. And, and this team is going to be completely different next year with all the contract situation and luring of free agency. It's just whether or not the management and the leadership of the coaching in the front office stays the same and, and whether or not ownership gives them a pass. And I, I think it comes down to the playoffs and how they end. And that's why I keep saying over and over and over. And we'll get into that. I want to finish. So, so we'll get into this later. Okay. So here we go. They beat the Knicks, you know, whew, you know, but hey, they made enough plays to win that game. You know, they deserve to win. They went in on the road, beat a team that was reeling, had just fired their coach. Wall and Beal made, made, made some winning plays. And here they are. They're going to Milwaukee. They have now. They had already beaten Milwaukee three times on the season. Ready to sweep them. Game before the All Star break, they had a day off. I don't know what the hell they did in Milwaukee. Maybe go to the movies. I don't know. With the night off in Milwaukee, I think it was like five degrees too, three degrees. Talk about cold. So here they're rested. Not a back to back. They come out and that was just a slop. They lose ninety nine to ninety two. A sloppy basketball game. They actually played pretty well in the first quarter. And I and I and I thought they went ice cold in the second quarter, like I mentioned before. I thought on both ends it was sloppy. A lot of turnovers just right to the other team. A lot of fouls, a lot of free throws. They never seemed to really get their groove on offense at all. You know, I think Marching got in foul trouble, kind of kind of hurt him a little bit. And and the and the the one takeaway I had of that game, and I'd like to see if you maybe saw the same, is that. The lack of athleticism of the Wizards really hurt them, I thought. Because the Milwaukee is very long. You know, you got the Greek freak. You got, uh, you know, even Michael Carr Williams. Even Greg Monroe is, you know, somewhat long and athletic playing the big guy. I, and, you know, Middleton, I thought, was, was, was somewhat athletic. There was a couple plays. I thought that the length in the athleticism of Milwaukee really bothered. Uh, Jabari Parker would be another one as well. And that the length in the athleticism, he had a sick dunk. That their kind of showed a flaw of this team. I mean, aside from Wall and Oubre and Beal here and there, but Beal's more of a shooter, there's just not much athleticism going on for the Wizards, and I think I thought that was the difference. Yeah, that gets to roster construction because it looks like a lot of times Dudley, especially in a game like against Milwaukee, then they he can't really play the power forward. He can't he can't cover Parker and when Giannis plays big you know, he can't cover those guys. With Moreau, that's where he was able to pound, and he was hitting Moreau pretty hard, and they were going at it pretty 
pretty hard. That, that was fun to watch, that part of it. But when Dudley is your only option, it, it limits your flexibility when you're playing against teams like this because people were just jumping over Dudley's back to get rebounds. And he can get in the all position he wants, you know, but if, if the guys are out jumping, you, you're not going to get the ball. So, yeah, I agree with you that this shows, you know, a flaw in the roster construction, you know, something which you don't know how, how, are, how are they going to be able to overcome that. But it's also a flaw which has been there for years. You know, it's something that's that's never really been, even with, you know, you had Trevor Booker and Kevin Serafin were sort of the young guys who were going to take over that mold. I don't think Serafin really plays that that role. Booker, maybe a guy like Booker would have been able to bang a little bit and maybe get some some rebounds. But again, if you're holding, you know, you can't say they should have kept Booker, that's the problem. I mean, that, that's just one player. He was a bit player. So, but that just shows there's a big hole in in players and and. And I think, yeah, Milwaukee is the type of team that can exploit that and show that weakness. Yeah, I mean, Milwaukee shot, they shot 44% and won the game, shooting 44%. The other thing that really hurt the Wizards, they were 6 of 32 from three-pointers. John yeah. Wall was 3 of 12. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought he took a lot of questionable shots at three-pointer. Now, he had been shooting a lot better, but if you look at his attempts, I think if you add him up over the last three or four games, it wasn't 12. You know what I mean? Like He'd been hitting like three or three, three or four, three or six, you know, two or four. Not 12 shot. You know, he was five and eight, 19 shooting. I thought that really hurt. I thought that really hurt them. There was one play, I think it kind of speaks to what you were mentioning about Dudley. The Wizards were... Well, they were down six, and then Monroe freaked out and got a technical for some reason. Cause he almost got, he should have got thrown out, honestly. And OJ Mayo, who's had what a poor reputation his whole life, is the peacemaker somehow. So OJ Mayo is the peacemaker. Monroe gets a technical. Wally gotten fouled, so he makes three free throws, cuts the lead to three, and immediately Milwaukee throws the ball away to Wall, and Wall goes down, and he's, he can't really finish at the rim because the Greek freaks there, so he passes at Dudley, and Dudley couldn't finish and backs it out. And then they miss a three. And that, and then the, then the, they go down, I think Middleton hit a shot after that, and that was pretty much it. It just showed that, like, you know, if that was an Ubre, or, you know, maybe even a Bradley, like, like, the limitations of not being athletic really hurt them on that play, and then there was another one where Middleton, of all people, sneaky athletic, jumped over, basically out-hustled Otto Porter for a rebound, and then just went all the way down, and almost, uh, had a two-handed slam that Nene had to foul him. And and then and then the other thing is that because that was also indicative that Milwaukee had 20 more rebounds than the Wizards, and the rebound percentage was about 20 percent higher as well. Yeah, I think to to something you were saying earlier too about Wall at that at the end of the game it wasn't the last two possessions, but two of the last few possessions where Wall put up threes that he completely missed, and you could see at least on one of them Beal was calling for the ball, and as Wall. Wall shot it. He just slumped his shoulders over, you know, and watched. You know, Wall completely missed him. And Beal was on fire to that point. He was driving. He was hitting threes, but also getting to the lane at will, just just getting straight to the rim and hitting wide-open layups. So it, I, I thought that was a time where it's sort of like a, a Durant-Westbrook uh, situation where, you know, you see the one guy watching and, and sort of getting a little pissed off. Uh, I thought that was definitely a time where Wall should have, and giving it to, to Beal to put up those shots. Because those, those two missed threes pretty much ended it, especially the last missed three that Wall had. I mean, he, he was off the whole game, and, and Beal was on fire. So would have liked to have seen, I would have liked to have seen Beal put up a couple more shots, you know, at the end of the game. 
What, what have you seen out of Bradley since he's came back from injury? I, I thought his game is really his. Well, I mean, he's played all well all, all season when he's been healthy. He was awesome at the beginning. You know, got a little banged up, came back, then got played okay. Was getting better. Then had his injury. Had some rust here and there. You know, then he got hit and then broke his nose. But I think. But I've seen a lot of good things out of him the last few weeks. Some of those moves, just the evolution of his game, step backs, attacking the rim, all the criticisms we've had of him since a rookie, he's really kind of met them and really kind of transformed his game, even though I know it's a small sample size. Well, yeah, he's done what he said he was going to do in terms of being more aggressive. So, yeah, it's great to see he's he's definitely getting to the rim and going straight at the basket and finishing, whereas he would sometimes get a little – contact or he would hang in the air a little bit and like not be able to finish but he's definitely going straight to the rim i like his sort of step back he's doing now where it's like a couple dribbles to get into the guy and then step back uh to create space and uh and the threes you know he's still he's, he's making the three you know the shot you can't have there's no better looking shot in the nba than, than his shot so i think definitely that's what they need out of him he needs to be a 20 point score really hope you would like him to be like a 22 23 point score. You know, you'd like it to be him carrying the scoring load, uh, you know, rather than Wall. You know, if he can get to that level of, like, where, where, like, uh, where Ray Allen used to be, but Ray Allen actually scored a little more back, back in the day when, when guys were scoring a lot more. But you, you, I'd like him to be more of the, the primary scorer every single night. So he's been, he's been looking pretty good. It's just like, you know, he always looks. He's on the verge. We've seen what he can do. And it's, and, you know, you want him to put it together. He's, he is putting it together. Uh, these last few games, but you just want to see the consistency with him more than more than anything. Because I think the sky's the limit. I think everybody feels the same way about him that he has the potential to be, you know, top shooting guard. It's just a matter of of putting it together and, and the injuries, of course. But but yeah, I, I think it's great that he's been going to the rim aggressively and finishing because that's exactly that's exactly what the team needs. Yeah, yeah, John Wall said he bruised his knee after the game in, the, in Milwaukee. And there was doubt whether or not he was going to maybe play in the All-Star game. During media day today at the All-Star game, he said he is going to play. He also had a funny, funny one-liner about Valentine's Day that you should get roses and make sure you don't forget your Valentine's name on the card, which I thought was kind of, <laughs> kind of hilarious. <laughs> uh, uh, what did you, but he's pretty much the only Wizards uh, representation. I did not go to Toronto. I did not go to Toronto. Obviously, I'm here in the nation's capital. I was at New York last year. Have you ever been at an All Star game, Adam? No, no, I've never. Yeah, I went I've to two. The, the the dunk contest and the three point contest are basically one of the boringest, overrated events I think I've ever been to. I've been to two of them because essentially, it's only about fifteen or twenty minutes of actual action, and it's four hours that you're there of some. Overbearing MC trying to entertain you. <laughs> you know, it's cool to see that dunk once in a while, right? Like, Zach Levine's dunk, but it only really, you know, takes place in like three seconds. <laughs> and you're there for so long, there's no action. It's very boring. The game itself last year, I mean, it's cool to see the celebrities and being up close to all those awesome players, but then the game itself is just kind of glorified pickup game, and, and it's just, there's not just the intensity at all, which I guess, I mean, it's still better than the Pro Bowl, Per se, but what did you think of John Wall? Just I've asked everyone. He obviously deserved to make the make the team. I know we're biased. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I know there was talk of. I mean, obviously Lowry's having a great season, but 
and those guys made it uh, to Rosen. But yeah, I don't think you can. You got to look at what he's, what role he plays on the team. I mean, it's really been a one man team, and although it hasn't been a great team, it's been a one man team. And I think he's earned. I think I hope he's earned sort of the perennial All Star status. Uh, at with Kyrie, I mean, Wade still grandfathered in. Um, but I, I think he's, I think he's earned that. I think he's gotten to that level where he's going to be put on, but if not voted in, he's going to be a coach's choice. Uh, you know, sort of, sort of by default. It, he obviously has to play well, play as he has been playing, but I think he gets, he had that month where he wasn't playing that well, where he was injured, uh, or he says, you know, he's banged up, but I, I think he's earned the right to be, to be an all-star above some of these upstart guys who like Kemba Walker or something who has a pretty good year. But I, I think we'll send it to the next level and, and he, he should be getting a, a perennial all-star now. How about Dudley in the three-point shot? Rashad said that, that Rashad, Rashad said that Dudley doesn't turn the needle <laughs> on the three-pointer and that, that's why you don't have him in. Well, I think, I don't know. I mean, Devin I mean, Booker's in there. Yeah, he's like a rookie. I, I mean, who knows him, right? Yeah. I mean, I think Dudley should have been ahead of him, but again, I, I do agree with Rashad, though, that it's not the, uh, he's not the most exciting. I, I can just picture him, you know, taking the ball from the rack, like slow motion, putting it up, but, um. But, I wonder if he would, yeah. str- I wonder if he would struggle getting off all the, all the racks, cause he's such kind of a slow, he has such an old man game. <laughs> he seems kind of methodical. I bet you he would set up the racks and practice, he practice it and get, get enough shots off. He's pretty, He's pretty, uh, he's pretty analytical. High basketball IQ. I think that would translate to the three-point uh, contest. Yeah. For, so for all those, all those up in Toronto, stay warm. The temp, the high tomorrow in Toronto, I checked, uh, is one degrees. I don't know what that is uh, in Celsius, and the low is like negative ten. So I am not. <laughs> I actually don't feel bad that I'm uh, not missing it, even though Toronto's a really cool city. I don't know. Have you been there before? No, no, that's one of the few places that I haven't been that's on my list of places I got to go. Everybody goes there, so. And, and we are, we are recording this during the celebrity, uh, the celebrity game that we're missing. I don't know if you're DVRing it. I saw Drake had a coach's board and Kevin Hart was yelling at the, uh, yelling at the refs all the time. Even though I do find that that ends up being kind of more, more entertaining than, than some other, like, the, the, the the skills challenge, <laughs> whatever, like or a bunch of old dudes shooting three point, shooting half court shots. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess they they've broken up the the skills challenge now. They got big men in the skills challenge this year. I guess I gotta check that out. See if that changes anything. But yeah, the skills challenge and that uh, WNBA NBA hybrid thing. Yeah, that's sort of just taking the time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not been entertaining. Well, the trading deadline is coming up uh, on. February 18th, it's, it'll be here before you know it next week. And we have our, there's been, you know, some speculation about Dudley to the Cavs here and there. But the big question was the Wizards, whether or not they would be sellers or buyers. I basically thought they would hold Pat, maybe be a mini buyer. We had a report this week from uh, Steve Kyler of the Basketball Insiders, who basically, you know, made me prophetic, a uh, prophetic, uh, made me, uh, be, be correct. In this, in the chance that the the Wizards are in talks, according to sources, uh, they'll have conversations next week as the deadline gets closer. They're open for discussion of pulling the trigger on a deal is something they would do. They're looking for help at the power forward spot, and a stretch four type player is very appealing. This is according to the Basketball Insiders report. Keep an eye on New Orleans Pelicans forward Ryan Anderson, Phoenix Suns forward PJ Tucker, and Utah Jazz forward 
Mr. Cookbook, <laughs> Trevor Booker, all of the players the Wizards have inquired about. The Wizards are not likely to blow up their current team, but they do have expiring contracts of Nene at $13 million, Dudley at 4.37, Alan Anderson at 4, Ravon Sessions at 2.2 million, Neil at 2 million, and they also have Chris Humphreys, who's 4.6 million, uh, salary for next season is non-guaranteed. So before we get into the buyers or the sellers, let's just focus on Ryan Anderson, PJ Tucker, and Trevor Booker. What stands out to you when you saw those names or, or that report? Well, I mean, I guess when you're looking for stretch fours and you look around the league, uh, those would be the guys who, who are available. Although I don't think PJ Tucker is okay, but I don't know. Dudley Tucker, it's, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I think Ryan Anderson is more of a prototypical player that they need. I don't know if they need this Ryan Anderson or they just need a Ryan Anderson type who's maybe a little, a little better, but that's the type of player, if they want space, that would, that they would need, you know, with Wall. Because Anderson actually can rebound, uh, along, you know, in addition to, to shooting three. So, I think, I think it's, look, I don't know what they're gonna, what they're trying to give up. I, I don't, we don't have much. I mean, they have Dudley. They have those salary you've talked about, but they, there's no one of any actual talent they could give up. So, it's gonna have to be a trade with a team that, like New Orleans, it isn't going anywhere. But I would like to see how they do with the actual stretch for a big guy who can shoot the three, like a Myers Leonard, uh, like, like Ryan Anderson, uh, like Channing Fry before he became a, a shallow Channing Fry, uh, that type of player, uh, I think would, would fit in well. And that's not what Booker is. And that's not really what PJ Tucker is. It's not really what Dudley is. Um, but, but I think they, they need to get someone like that. If, I don't know necessarily the trade deadline, but I mean, that's, that's sort of the, what was supposed to be the future of the team is to have a guy like that. I mean, that's the guy who's supposed to unlock John Wall. He's supposed to unlock Gortat down low. He's supposed to give space for Beal. I mean, that, that's sort of supposed to be the trigger to the entire offensive revolution, if you will, and they still haven't found that player. Yeah. Right. Ryan Anderson's current salary is, let's see here, he signed in 2012 for four years. So it looks like he will be up. So he'll be a free agent. So he's one of the top free agents. So you I, know, it's kind of a rental player. He is shooting, Ryan Anderson is shooting currently 38% from three. Last year he shot a career low 34%. So you know, maybe the, I would like that. Nor, nor, uh, first year in New Orleans, he shot 40%. In Orlando, I thought he was pretty good. So he's kind of... I don't know. He isn't the Ryan Anderson he used to be before, so I don't know how much you're going to want to give up to get him, unless you're just kind of swapping out some type of contract or some player. And I don't. I think the Pelicans probably can get something better from somebody else, don't you think? Yeah, I would swap. I mean, I have no problem swapping expiring contracts for other expiring contracts. Yeah, I don't know why the Pelicans would necessarily do it. You got to be afraid that in any trade that Grunfeld's going to put in the first round pick, because that's what he does. Um, By the way, we don't have a second. We don't have a second round pick. So if we would trade a first, no, the first pick, round, the first round pick. Though. Yeah, the we have a first round, round pick, really but, but we don't have a second round pick. So if we would trade a first round pick, we would be out of the draft. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think that's that's not wise that at all. Passed. But but I think any of those players, you, you tell, you're looking at Ryan Anderson's numbers, but you got to put the uh, you know John Wall bump with that. So I mean, that, that's true. You know, there's, there's no coincidence with Dudley shooting now. 
uh, you know, Ariza, Beal, anybody who's played with him. So I think you get a guy like Anderson Martel Webster shooting wide so, open shots. Basically, Webster was so Butler. I mean, Martel but the only guy who hasn't really <laughs> had a huge bump in his percentage, I guess, is, is Temple. Um, but he's, he's, you know, he's doing other little things. But he's, he's also not a traditional great shooter. But I think these guys who are good shooters, who can make 45% of the threes, who may go up and down, when you get a guy like that shooting wide-open threes with John Wall, I think that, that's all you need. So I think, I think any of those guys who are good to decent three-point shooters, that Wall can, Wall can elevate them. You know, he can do, the, he can do for, for them what he's doing for Dudley. So what's your thoughts of the confirmation that the Wizards pretty much either going to stay pat or make a minor move? That there's not going to be a fire cell. Do you agree well, with that? I, I, I saw there was talk, you know, of fans. You, know, you see on Twitter people saying, oh, they need to be sellers, just go to the lottery. I, I didn't even understand that at all. There's a 0% chance that they'd be sellers. I mean, that, that's Ernie Grunfeld. To be a seller would be an admission of failure. And there's no way he's blowing up this team until – Unless and until they miss the playoffs. Because if they do make the playoffs, I don't think there's even going to be these major changes that everybody wants. I mean, that, that's the status quo, making the playoffs. So the only reason we're having these conversations is because they're not in the playoff hunt. but Or they're in the playoff hunt, but not yet in the playoff uh, top eight right now. So I don't think there's any way that Grunfeld will blow up the team absent uh, having a losing season. So, I mean, I don't. yeah, I didn't think with that talk and people saying they want that to happen, maybe, but... I think there's no way that Grunfeld would, would, would have an admission of, of, of failure and, and blow up the team. Well, I mean, you keep Dudley, right? I mean, trading Dudley would in NA would pretty much be – I mean, if, unless you don't add another big. If, if you trade Dudley in NA, to me, I mean, depending on, I guess, who you would add, but that is pretty much your best big defender and the stre- only stretch four on the roster of a style change that you – want to change to that you've been adamant about, which obviously to mix success, mostly uh, negative success. That's why I don't see it happening. I don't see Leonson's doing it either. And, and proving your point, you mentioned earlier, they're only, and I say it every podcast, I give the same updates and we'll do it right now. There are only two games out of the loss column from eight, the eight spot. Currently, there are only four games out of the loss column from the four spot with a lot of games to play. I mean, 31, 30 going games a gate. Now, of course, you know, time is ticking here, but it's not out of this realm of them to, to make the playoffs and doing those moves, especially for John Wall and Bradley Beal. I don't, I don't see, unless you're going to sit Bradley Beal and John Wall, I don't, you, you can't sell everyone else around them. Do you? And what's that say to your ticket season ticket holders as well? I mean, you being one as well. I mean, that factors in. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's kind of hard for them to be too big of sellers anyway, even if they wanted to, because they basically have, you got Wall, you got Beal, well, Beal, Beal's going to get an extension, uh, you assume. But aside from them, I mean, Otto, you got Otto's a nice young piece, you got more time to contract, but selling, what does that really mean? You Selling would be, oh, we're going to get rid of Dudley, we're going to get rid of Humphreys, we're going to get rid of Nene. I mean, that, that's not really, those are almost, those are bit pieces who are brought in on one-year contracts anyway, I mean, Nene's expiring contracts, so... There's no blowing up of the team because the team right now is John Wall and Bradley Beal. And Gortakis will be there and you have the pieces in Uber and Otto, but really it's, it's, it's Wall and Beal. So the, the team won't be blown up. It's going to be reconfigured. But I don't think there's even a, a question of, of, you know, actually blowing up the team. They might, they can reconstruct it a little bit, but, but, you know, I don't think trading Dudley would necessarily be, you know, called blowing up the team because I think 
I think he would only make a trade if he's bringing in a somewhat big name veteran, like what he's done in the past, bringing in Nene, bringing in Okafor and Ariza. Sessions, uh, Sessions right? Andre Miller. Yeah, bringing in, yeah, Sessions, I guess Andre Miller. Um, and he tends to bring in Gortat, making the trade for Gortat. He, he, uh, that's sort of been his MO. Uh, so I think if he were to bring someone in, it wouldn't, it would be someone who actually has a name or has some, some, some ability to bring him in and, and there could be hope that maybe this guy will get better. Like, right? you know, going back to Josh Howard, going back to bringing in, uh, even when he made the Kwame Brown for Quan Butler trade, uh, you know, you're bringing in, you know, a guy who you think is going to, sort of a, a name. So to come in and sort of save the day and just be a, a name where people can, can sort of rally around and think, oh, we can envision this team being good with this big name player. So that's why I think like these guys like Ryan Anderson, I can see him pulling the trigger on someone like that, and that being his move, that being the move for the year. Let's see how Ryan Anderson pans out. Um, so I definitely think I can see them being buyers at that level, but but nothing nothing huge in terms of blowing up the team. And then how about the first round pick we mentioned, giving that up safe for, you know, okay, we'll be a buyer, but now we're going to be a big buyer, and maybe we throw a first round and. Uh, you know, an Uber or a Porter in for someone. I don't know who hypothetically, I hate going down the list of teams because sometimes it's hard to tell which is smoke and who has something. But using those as chips to get another player, is that a possibility or the first round pick? Or don't even try to do that because you still risk the chance of them missing the playoffs and that pick could be a high pick. Wait, that would be my my fear that that, that would be the... <laughs> That's exactly what happened. The chip he uses because that's what he's... Uh, Grunfeld, when he's, 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 it's not just second round picks he's thrown in. He's thrown in first round picks. You know, he threw that in for, that was to get Gortat. We had the first round pick. Um, it's one Jameson. And, oh yeah. And of course, and I guess the, the fifth pick, you go back yeah, for the, yeah, the yes, Miller and, yes, yeah. Miller and Floyd. But so if you're trying to differentiate Washington from other trade partners, Washington has expired contracts and guys who, I guess Dudley, I think teams look at Dudley as a guy who could help. But other than that, Gary Neal, I don't think, I don't think he even wants Gary Neal, do they? No, I don't think I don't think they look at anyone else, any other expiring contracts as guys who are going to immediately contribute. I think everybody else on the team is just an expiring contract. I think Dudley, people look at it as as having value, but Dudley's not enough to trump, say, the Celtics want to make a trade for somebody. Like they have much more assets. Like I, I think that first round pick is is like the the trump card that Grunfeld may may want to play to bring back a Ryan Anderson type. Like nobody, you know, Dudley's not going to be enough to get that type of player. So and then you just sort of you make that pick and you hope it's a you hope you make the playoffs and it's like a 15, 16 pick and, and, and you hold your breath just like with Quartet and, you know, you hope it wasn't that big of an asset. Um, so I could definitely see that, you know, play now because I think, I think Grunfeld is, is going for the playoffs. I mean, I think that's, and the team, I think their, their goal is playoffs or bust. I mean, they, they do not want to be in the lottery. What, what, what about trading Dudley to the Cavs? Would you make that move? I don't. Uh, I wouldn't want to help the Cavs in any way. Yeah, me either. Me either. I'm um, against. I'm against helping the Cavs. I'm all I, against I, the Cavs. I loved when when Washington gave him Antoine Jameson, and it they sucks. were all excited. Oh yes, I, I wrote that too. I, I think I've written that several times on the blog. Yeah, but <laughs> because they they didn't realize. I mean, the, the lack of defense. You, you can't have someone not playing defense in the playoffs. But but anyway, but. I even took. I'm sorry, but I also I also found joy when Larry Hughes uh, underachieved for for the Cavs, even though I liked Larry on the Wiz. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I'm a big. Uh, I, I like Larry Hughes. I was a big Larry Hughes fan. Um, I think I do think he underachieved also because I think he they broke up. I think he would have continued playing well with, with Washington. I think it was sort of leaving leaving DC and leaving Gilbert Arenas and having that second ball handler and, and having those guys who trusted him. 
I think, uh, you know, well, I think it was a, but, I, but I think it was a good move for, I, I actually think it was one of Grunfeld's better moves not to give him a hundred million dollars. So. Yeah, he, that's where he showed restraint and that's where, yeah, I, I, I thought that was one of them. It's like a move because we always hammer Grunfeld on, obviously we know the, the fifth pick, giving, giving Marinas all that money, how much that was Abe, how much was him is still up for debate. I can never get a square answer on that. But sometimes I thought it, Thought his best move, you know, obviously aside from the Kwame for Butler trade that you talked about, was not giving Hughes. Like when you don't make the move, <laughs> the signing, yeah. right? And he went from giving up Hughes. That's what that's what got him into the Kwame for for Butler trade to sort of replace Hughes. But yeah, that was that was big where he showed restraint where he had in the past, and that's why I often wonder like Beal would be a is a much larger example of that. But that's sort of if you remember back that Larry Hughes was I. Uh, he, I think he had like two steals a game, like 20 points. I mean, he was playing at a level, at a real level that season. And Washington beat Chicago in the first round of the playoffs that year. That, that was not a, that was a big deal to let Larry Hughes go and to make that decision to, to break up the, the, the big three as it, as I it were back I, then. So, I, mem- I remember those debates. I, I, I believe I was in comment sections on Bullets Fever blog, whatever, whatever Bullets Forever blog was before on like Blogspot. <laughs> I think I was yeah. on that, having those arguments in comment sections. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that was a big, I, I think Beal has, has, he's, he's going beyond that in terms of what the expectations are. So I don't think they're going to do the same thing with Beal, but that was, but that was a good, a good example of him actually showing, showing restraint. Um, well, let me get you. Yeah, I, I just don't see. Let me get you on yeah. the record. Let me get you on. What, what do you feel the Wizards' options with Beal? Like they have to give him the money, don't you think? Oh yeah, I think he's max. There's no question. There's, there's no other option, right? I don't think there's another option because any other replacement for him is getting max money anyway. So, um, I think we're at the point where a guy like C.J. McCollum is going to get max. Max money, uh, you know, you got DeRozan, you got a bunch of guys out there. I think they're all, after Wesley Matthews' contract um, last year, I think that's just sort of set the market for what that type of player is going to be commanding. And Beal's going to get a max contract. And there's no, like Gordon Hayward, you know, Beal's getting a max contract. And and I think Washington is, is going to give it to him. No, is it, is it, 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 it kind of is indicative of how the game has changed. You remember when, like, big guys used to get all this money? You'd be like, how did John Conkak get this crazy contract from back in the day? Or how is this stiff making $10 million a year? And now it's all, and now, now it's almost where now shooting and going small, like shooting is almost more of a commodity, a prize commodity now than a big guy, you know, having a, a big, huge center. And so, Maybe overpaying is going to happen to to guards, to shooters, to 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 really awesome shooters. Yeah, I think you look at uh, uh, sort of like with Blake Griffin, they talk about it as big and good as as Blake Griffin is. People still just put an asterisk next to him and say, "Well, can you really build a team around him?" Because his his inability to defend the rim. You have to if you're a big man, you have to either be able to defend the rim or go back and shoot threes. It's sort of what Greg Monroe is. So that was you know. Sort of limited his his uh, free agent uh, market. So yeah, it's, for the big man, it's put a premium on either protect the rim or play defense. And but it's also the same thing. You're talking about shooters. It's, it's getting them money, but it's also making guys like MKG. I don't know Tony Allen, guys who who can't shoot. It's it's limiting them because th- these defenses are going small and just not even covering those players. So it's like it's it's shooting from big men. Big men need it, but also. 
you know, these, these guards who were sort of specialists, they now have to develop uh, a shot. And you see in the style of play where now guys just run to the corners, they, they pull up, they, you know, the long two is now, thank, thank God, has become a, a, black, a bad shot, right? Like, more and more players know that because people are being asked that. So it has totally changed their, their complete mindset, and you see it uh, translate on the court. So the point is, is that, so even if Beal, say Beal gets injured again, or say Beal, however Beal finishes this season, say if he gets injured or doesn't get injured, I think it doesn't really matter either way. I still think he's going to play well. If he's healthy, he's going to play well. He's going to shoot well. We've seen his development. I, I will, I'm almost guaranteed that Bradley Beal is going to shoot well if he's played. Now, if he comes down with another nagging injury, some team is still going to offer him that money because Wes Matthews had Achilles, blew out his Achilles. Not, he's not recovered. And not recovered. Yeah, recovered. And not yet recovered. And he got what sixty million from Dallas, and he's played well this year. So that risk actually worked out for Dallas. So, so some, some team. So, so let's say worst case scenario, Beal has some minor injury again. Now the whole narrative: Beal is always hurt, always hurt. Some team's still going to throw an offer sheet at him, right? And so the Wizards would have to match it. So. Yeah, they so they'll, they'll let him go for nothing. I, I don't see that. I don't see that scenario happening. So, say Beal plays well and is healthy, you're still gonna have the same conversations about having reservations whether or not to give him max money because of his injuries past. Someone that young, him saying the minutes limit, people being concerned, and all those are legitimate. But some, but the Wizards have to give him max money. I don't know what their other option is. Either lose him for nothing because somebody else is going to give him all the money, or they have to max him and just roll with him and Beal and, and hopefully he stays healthy. I, I don't see any other way for them. Yeah, I, I think they're. I think they're all in on it's Wall and Beal. I, I don't think there's any. I don't think they've thought for a second. Now they might have some hesitation about giving him max money, but I, I don't. You know, just because anyone would with these injury history, but I don't think in any in any way they're. You know, the front office is contemplating. Let's throw a max offer at, you know, some other free agency who would get him first. You know, I, I just obviously, except for Durant, but, um, I just don't see, I don't see how they could map out any possibility of replacing him with an, a, someone who's going to be making significantly less money who could replace him. Just, there, there's nobody, the, 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 the contracts are astronomical now. I mean, and everybody is getting this, this big money. Plus, plus, this whole plan has been set up when an A's contract expires, B would be eligible for the max. Now, we know the salary cap went up and it's kind of changed some things here and there, but, but the, the staples of their plans are still the same, and then not to commit any long-term money, so they'll have flexibility to go after Kevin Durant. That has been the plan. I don't see them changing from that plan. Just because Beal has another structure fracture in the foot for a month and he misses, I just that, that they have been very transparent on that plan as well, I, I believe. They've been as transparent as they were in their... Love of Yah Vesely. In Wizard. Transparent in the context of how non-transparent the Wizards usually are. How about that? <laughs> no. On certain things, on most of the wrong things, they've been very transparent. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any question. They'll be maxed and they're going to go after, they'll make a pitch to the Rams. I can't imagine, uh, what that pitch is going to be like. And, and I can't imagine them winning the pitch anymore, but, you know, they'll make their pitch and then, They'll probably look for whoever falls through the cracks in, in free agency to fill in an, another roster for, for for another few years. Well, what about what about some type of package to try to get Al Horford and then having his rights and then re-signing him? But do not do that because then you won't have the pitch to for Durant because that's conceding that you don't think you're going to get Durant. So I don't see that happening, right? Well, I guess if they 
depending on how it works, I think they could Durant and Horford, and they'd both be free agents, so I don't know if they're able to... I'm saying if they would trade for Horford right now, because it looks like the Hawks are right, shopping he, Horford. He'd still be a free agent after this year. I guess they'd have a cap hold on him, so I don't know if that would preclude... If the cap hold would be too large to preclude them going after Durant. I, I don't think they do... I don't think they would do anything drastic that would hit a max contract to Durant. Correct. And I don't think they should. I, I mean, it'd be pretty stupid if they did, honestly. Especially if you're doing it to try to mortgage this particular season. You know, this is not... If we were playing well, sure, Washington was playing well, then, you know, I could see that. There's a two or three seed you're trying to make a push, like Boston reportedly is doing. You're looking into Horford, I could see that, but not when you're 23 and 28 and Horford would get you just into the playoffs. Well, Adam, if they miss the playoffs, you know that that's the narrative of this season, right? I mean, I'm not from what... I'm saying what the media is going to... What the national media is going to say, what the local media is going to say... I think maybe even some of our writers that truth about it potentially might say, I don't know if it's actually true. Per, they're going to say, oh, they gave up on the season because they want to go for Kevin Durant, and that's why they underachieved, and that's why they didn't make the playoffs because they should have done X, Y, and Z. But then they won't actually spell out what the X, Y, and Z will actually be. They'll just say, overall, they didn't really try to get better players. And Gortat's quote will probably be used. Remember his quote that he said something similar, how – they didn't really get better. One of his frustrating, candid moments. I totally, I totally, I, to, I totally see that narrative shaping up if they miss the playoffs. Well, you could make that argument that that Gortat was saying about how we didn't bring in Washington, didn't bring in any, uh, you know, all stars. But the bottom line is, they they can't say that the roster that they had that they have now, they've had all season, even with the injuries, they can't say that they. This is what they should have been. They should. You can't say they should have been a lottery team. I mean, there's no way they they can they can they can argue that. They can argue there was injuries that, that lessened their abilities to, to play well. But you, you can't argue that the roster that was put together was not a playoff Eastern Conference playoff team. I mean, that, that's just not. It's not. You know, it's just not possible. I mean, you can't make that credible argument. I could see them making any you know any argument they want, but it's not really a credible argument to say, yeah, we didn't put together a playoff roster. So let's talk about the playoffs. Do you think that this team can make the playoffs? We've been dancing around this issue. Where do you realistically see this team finishing here in this stretch? They 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 are currently, uh, like I mentioned, they're three games out of the eighth spot. They're behind the Pistons, who are 27-27. The Hornets are in eighth. thing is, too, about if I go through the standings real quick, is that you have the Hornets who are actually playing pretty, pretty well. They're 7-3. and three. But the rest of these teams are not playing well at all. Pistons have lost three in a row. They're four and six in the last ten. The Bulls just came down with another injury. Jimmy Butler, their best player. They seem a mess. The Pacers are five and five in the last ten. The Heat are five and five in the last ten. The Hawks look like they're ready to trade people. So aside from Cleveland and the Raptors at one and two, and you know, I'm still waiting for Boston to collapse, but they're not collapsing. They're thirty two and twenty three, and Brad Stevens is a freaking genius. It looks to me that these teams, there's a lot of teams going on in flux, so the Wizards could, could get some momentum. I know it's the same refrain I say every freaking show. I'm trying not to cuss, but every fucking show. All those teams I'm just throwing out there, they're going to need somebody, some, some of those to drop, and they're going to have to sustain some winning. How likely is this? There are 31 games left. I believe that Washington will make the playoffs. I, but... Why do you believe that? Is, it, yeah, is, I that, believe is that, that? is that optimism as a fan, or do you see that? No, no, uh, I, I believe the, 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 the reason why is because I think 
they've been... I'm just looking at sort of a regression to the mean. I, I think they've been... They've, we've already gone over the, the, the blowing, law, blowing games. They have been showing up. They, you know, I, I don't think they're playing... I don't think they're playing at the level they should be playing, and that they can play. And I think that they will... And I think they can put together, you know, some winning streaks and winning, you know, 7 out of 10 games and, and that type of thing, which would move up. I, they're really... You look at Detroit, you look at, I guess, Chicago, you got to see how they do with Butler's injury. I mean, they, they could drop even more. It's not like Charlotte, Detroit, they're right there to be passed. And I think that they're overachieving. And I think that Washington's been underachieving. So I, I don't think Washington, I know that Bill Parcells, you are what your record is. I think Washington's been underachieving. Those teams have been overachieving. So if there is some type of regression to the mean, I think that would get them into the playoffs. Now, I say that, but I also thought that this would have started happening, you know, a week or two ago. So, <laughs> um, so it's, it's getting a little concerning. But they have the talent in the, in, in the, in the room, in the locker room. And it's just, it's just strange to see that a team that's done it the last two years. I know they have some new players, but it's pretty much the same core players. I mean, to have done what they did the last two seasons and then to to go through an entire season playing the way they are, I just, I just think they're gonna, at some point, the white will click and they'll play as, as they can. And there's a lot of games. You know, 30 games is a lot of games. And so, and there's a lot of head-to-head games against those teams that are ahead of them. So I think, I, I, I'm going on a more of a, it's a regression to the mean, is, is my, is my, is my theory. Not so much that, you know, they're, they're gonna put it together and jump to the fourth seed or something. But I just see those teams that are ahead of them, you know, they're not, they're not that scary, but, but things have to happen pretty soon. Well, my, my point is the injuries, I feel, has always been the injuries and the schedule getting easier. Correct? And so I thought that finally we have seen this. Now I have marked my concern that I felt the injury excuse is kind of played out now on the last couple of weeks because we've seen kind of what the rotation is, saving for Alan Anderson. But I don't think we can wait around for Alan Anderson anymore. He is going to be a plus. I don't know what is really happening with him. But to me, it really is John Wall and Bradley Beal. If they play at an elite level, they they should be able to be a seven seed in the NBA. Over these, if, if they are just, like, they basically just need to outplay Chicago by two or three, four games, or the Hornets by three games over the next, you know, month. What is it? Two months. So, as long as those do stay healthy and play elite level, and you have Nene, you know, as much as he can be, and Gortat, and all the, you know, the main kind of four or five guys are healthy and playing how they can play, they should be able to make up this deficit. But it is it is very troubling, and it's just a dismal refrain on this podcast. That people keep probably listening, and they're hitting the same things over and over. But the same things are happening over and over. That's why they're consistently inconsistent. But I do have logical belief that if those two dudes stay healthy, that they can make it. Do you believe that? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm in the same boat. But again, it's still yeah, when when is that, when does that switch happen? <laughs> well, it's also talking about a seven eight seed. So it's not it's not like we're it's not crazy. For us to say we think they're going to get a seven or eight seed, that you got to remember that's that's disastrous. So getting a seven or eight seed is is, yes. is, is awful. The, the, so we're not. Yeah. Well, well then, then here's the flip side. Do you, there are fans out there now, and I believe John Townsend would maybe. I don't want to speak for him, but I think he is kind of the same. Well, why don't they just miss the playoffs and then fire everyone? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like if they make an eight seed and lose, get steamrolled by the Cavs, you know, or even Toronto, even though we swept Toronto last year, is there a benefit from missing the playoffs and so we can replace everyone? And is that just so cynical that you can't root for that? Because I'm not rooting for that, but I can see that argument as 
as this progresses on the same mediocre level. Yeah, I I never root for that. I understand the argument. I think if they were to get the eight seed and get swept by Cleveland, that would have the same effect as not making the playoffs at all in terms of whatever firings might happen. But no, I I'm always I'm always in favor of winning if you can win, getting into the playoffs if you can get into the playoffs. I don't think the lottery I think is a little overblown because say you miss the playoffs, you get the fourteenth slot, the lottery, thirteenth or fourteenth, it's just such a minuscule chance of winning anyway. You're going to get the 13th or 14th pick. If you make the playoffs, you get the 15th or 16th. Like, it's not that big of a deal. So, I understand tanking when people say that. I mean, Washington's definitely not going to do that. But if you're just saying where they are right now, I think you you have to go for the playoffs. I think it it really would hurt Wall's, you know, if not development, his psyche. It would hurt, you know, I I think you definitely want to make the playoffs. You can't. And the only benefit, the only good thing is, aside from Cleveland, nobody else is scary. You're talking about playing Toronto. Is the seventh seed you play Toronto? I, I would put it. I'm sure the the players would feel 50-50 playing against Toronto in the first round. They're not. They're not thinking they're coming in as huge underdogs. Then you go out to Boston, Indiana, Miami. None of those guys. None of those teams would be uh, would, would scare Washington if they were in the playoffs. So it, it's not just like getting a, getting the playoffs and getting swept in the first round. Cleveland may do that, but but other than that, there's nobody else who's who's scary. Yeah, I think avoiding Cleveland in the first round, getting a six or seven seed, would probably be the best salvage of the season. And then being able to pull that off, upset over a Hawks or a Celtics or Raptors in the first round, and then rolling your dice in the second round if you avoid Cleveland in the second round. Now, that is the most optimistic take I feel is the ceiling left for this team. There is still a chance for that to happen. Once again, what percentage of a chance that is, is very, very low. But I don't think it's impossible, though. You know what I mean? I think it's a decent shot if things can roll their way. They still have a chance to turn this around, and that's where I'm trying to be realistic with with a hint with with recognizing my own biases of wanting that to happen, but being realistic in this in the sense that all these other ones aside from Cleveland aren't intimidating, especially if you have Bradley Beal and John Wall playing at a, at a high level. They they are arguably the two best players on the court sometimes against some of these teams. Yeah, and certainly, certainly Wall. So when you're when you have a playoff series and you're the best player on the court, I mean, you saw it with Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta was a much better team than Washington over the course of the regular season, but just having the best player on the court, obviously he was injured, but that that's enough right there in the playoffs. Hello, everyone. That wraps up part one of my discussion with Adam Rubin. In part two, we get into further details of an upcoming project of his analyzing the 1997 playoff series between the Washington Bullets and the Chicago Bulls. He ends up interviewing a lot of former Bullets players. Very cool, very neat. So I I recommend go checking out that on the next episode. It should be up soon. And by the way, stay warm out there, kids, because it is still freezing. And as always, go Wiz.
James Dean 